Hello, everyone. In this podcast, we will be discussing sensitive topics such as sexual assault. It's important to take care of yourself while listening. Some suggestions are listening while you're in a healthy headspace or knowing who you can reach out to if you become upset. Our 24-7 helpline for crisis calls based out of Central Florida is 407-500-HEAL. By contacting the national hotline at 1-800-656-4673, you can get support and learn about your local resources. There's always someone ready to help. the Victim Service Center podcast. Here we sit down with professionals that serve survivors and victims of trauma or those who've experienced violence and have conversations about social issues. This week, we are talking about dissociative identity disorder or DID. My name is Emily Mitchell. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm the education coordinator at the Victim Service Center of Central Florida. With me today, I have Michelle Langrock. Michelle uses she, her pronouns and is one of our therapists at the BSC. Michelle recently attended Rollins College and completed her Master's of Arts in Clinical Mental Health Counseling with a Certificate in Family and Relationships Therapy from Rollins College. She is passionate about serving the community in a way that promotes individual healing and growth, fosters fulfilling interpersonal relationships and increases social equity. Um, So thank you so much for being here, Michelle. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Emily. Michelle's also been our intern at VSC and I'm finally really excited to have you on the podcast. I can't believe I haven't had you on yet. So thank you so much for being here. And I'm also have joining us Jen. So Jen uses she, her, they, them, and he, him pronouns and is a DID system of 18. Uh, She has been working towards functional multiplicity, which we'll be talking about, since discovering her system four years ago. As part of her work, she hopes to bring awareness about DID through sharing her journey with her local community as well as on social media. So Jen, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And I also have, finally, we have Sarah. So Sarah uses she, her pronouns and is Jen's partner, supporter, and a fierce advocate for the DID community, as well as for fellow supporters of loved ones with DID. She's a peer educator who teaches about DID and dispels myths that we're going to be talking about so that it can be better understood and more healing can happen. So Sarah, thank you as well for being here on the podcast. Thank you too. We're excited. I'm very, very excited to have this uh, conversation. I've been telling everyone about it, to be honest. Um, Just as a brief introduction, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, which is a time to uplift topics surrounding mental health in an effort to break down stigmas and promote healing and well-being. And to be honest, I think mental health, one mental health condition that comes with a lot of misconceptions and stigmas is DID or dissociative identity disorder. Although mm-hmm. historically not talked about enough and honestly still isn't, 
it has most recently been a focal point in the new Marvel series Moon Knight, which inspired me to host the, this, this discussion on DID. You know, I just have a couple of questions that we're going to hit on later on. You know, is it well represented in the show and other forms of media? What are myths about it? How is it related to trauma and the work we do at the BSC? And most importantly, how can we be better supporters and allies to those with DID? So with all of that, I think it would be really important to define first some of these terms before we dive in. So dissociation, what is dissociation? Well, dissociation is basically a disconnection that happens in the brain or in the mind's functioning. So um, in the case of dissociative identity disorder, it's kind of what creates the disorder, the disconnection in the mind and in the identity. So it can happen on a spectrum, like every one of us probably has experienced small levels of dissociation at some point where maybe like a common example is driving in the car somewhere where we've driven many times before and we arrive at the destination and realize we don't remember the drive there. Don't know, don't remember turning, don't remember stopping at lights, but somehow our brain handled that whole drive and got us there safely. So we were doing it. We were just disconnected in the mind, maybe thinking about something else or just taking a little break. So it's common for most people to experience at least a low level like that. But then it is a spectrum based on life experiences. We may dissociate more and more frequently or more and more intensely in order to survive experiences that are traumatic or in order to cope with experiences that are painful. And that's where we get to the other end of the spectrum where dissociative identity disorder really goes to the point of disconnecting parts of our identity to be almost as if they're separate parts within. Thank you so much for defining that, Michelle. And I appreciate you brought up the spectrum. Um, I believe in spectrums and in like all walks of life. And I think that it's important that we kind of see this spectrum when it comes to this. Um, you know, Sarah and Jen, would you um, would you agree? Is that kind of what you, how you would define dissociation? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I think that in our family, we've become very aware of um, dissociation in general. And um, one thing I would add is um, I think that we have kind of determined that the opposite of dissociation is mindfulness. Um, because basically anything like, Michelle was saying anything that you do kind of on autopilot and um, afterwards end up like, I don't know how I just did that. Um, that really is, you know, a lack of being present um, in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, one thing I was thinking about is the, probably the most common one I can think of is walking into a room and forgetting like why you went in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like, people don't think that that's like, can come from an extreme like source, like for, for me, like there's a reason why I do that and why I'm so forgetful. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. And I appreciate you bringing in your experience to this and, and sharing um, because I think that dissociation when we, put it on that spectrum from that sense. I think also like TikTok's talking a lot about a disassociation as well. Um, 
and it's being talked about more, but like when we, when we see from that side, like, Oh yeah, that's what that is. And then, um, we'll talk a little bit more about, um, that, uh, dissociative amnesia that you were, you were referencing to. Um, so we talked a little bit about DID as far as like how it relates to dissociation. Um, but I also wanted to just like, how would you define what this is? And I know that has had other names in the past as well. So, you know, why have we kind of changed these terms too? It's kind of a two-parter question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, dissociative identity disorder has distinct criteria in the DSM, which is our manual for diagnosing. And so it comes down to, um, a set of symptoms that a person would have, which we now know are caused by trauma in early childhood, like persistent um, extreme types of trauma that are just ongoing. And so it causes so intense that it causes the brain to create this really strong defense mechanism of just separating out experiences, separating out coping mechanisms. And the reason I, my understanding of the reason why the name was changed previously, we knew this to be multiple personality disorder. And so they were thinking that there were different distinct personalities within a person and they kind of shift between the personalities. But um, now they're, the understanding is more that it's one personality. We all have a personality and then we have different facets of the personality. And so these parts of the personality are being switched back and forth with a person with dissociative identity disorder. Um, but all of that switching back and forth is actually their personality. So it would be inaccurate to call it multiple personality disorder. It's more accurate to call it dissociative identity disorder because it's actually a, a dissociation or a disconnection of those aspects of a person's identity. And it results from trauma. So it also, I think, depathologizes it a little bit. When you call it multiple personality disorder, it sounds like someone just has this, they were born with several personalities inside or something. And that's not really at all what it is. That's the best explanation I've ever heard <laughs> for that question, Michelle. Yeah. Was, thank you. <laughs> it was really good. It was, I assume that there's nothing else you'd like to add, but I, I wanted to throw it out there, Sarah or Jen, if you'd like to. No, I think that was really good. Yeah. I feel like I understand much better now. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Michelle, so much for, for that clear. Um, and I think that it's really important also to kind of address that it used to have these terms before and how there really just was a lack of understanding of this mental health condition and how we've kind of, how far we've come. And we're going to be talking a little bit about how far we need to continue going, but you mentioned um, a few things as far as like parts and, and other things. So I've heard of this term host. What is, um, what do we mean by uh, host when we're referring to that in relation to DID? Okay. I I'll answer this one because I know like a tiny bit about it. <laughs> Um, uh, so technically I'm the host and I feel like the easiest way to say it is I don't have like any memories of the trauma and that, that makes it so that I can like function like a normal person. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't have memories of the trauma now I do, but that's like mm -hmm. where the distinction is, um, 
initially. So, and then like I run, because I don't have the, the trauma memories or like know of them, I can like function without um, being in distress all the time, which isn't actually what's happening now in my life because we're like into a different part, but initially, so that's like before the DID is like known about. Um, and I think that kind of just sticks with it because like we do switch and different people do different things. But um, for some reason, I guess the way that I would say it is, is kind of like it, I'm empty so people can come in easier or something. Like there's not like really a lot of stuff there to like, um, interfere with moving like the people coming in and out to function like the parts of my system that come in and out to function yeah what I'm hearing is like you're kind of um able to hold space for other yeah. okay got it that makes a lot um, of sense well I was just gonna add that um another term used for um this type of part is um APN or apparently normal part and um, really awareness of the trauma is debilitating and it makes functioning in a productive, normal way impossible. Like to go to work every day. Yeah. People, to well, one description that's yeah. like in everything, if you Google yeah. like DID, it always says um, to sit across the table from the person that abused you, like you have to be able to not know that that mm -hmm. stuff was going on. So there's a reason why the parts split. So that that's like what the host is for. It's to, to be normal. To be normal, mm -hmm. to be able to sit across the table from the abusers, basically. Yeah, I think of the host as like what you're saying, it's like the part that runs the daily activities, you know, mm -hmm. it's the part of yourself that's functioning in life in the front, which is another mm -hmm. term we were going to talk about, you know, and so you may have other parts that come in and out, but that host is the one, um, maybe the most in charge or in leading at the time. Does that it sound accurate with mm -hmm. your experience, Jen? Yeah. And then I am also hearing the term parts. And um, so how would, what, is, what do we mean by uh, part when we're referring to parts or parts? Okay, I think the clinical term people use is alters. So, but um, like for people who have DID, they, they use different terminology for that. But the parts are the parts of the system, like what Michelle was saying about um, dissociating that have different roles like different jobs to do um or maybe parts that were split off because of trauma but they're like actually individuals mm -hmm. um with names with names mm -hmm. in some systems it's different like it just depends mm -hmm. on what people choose to like mm -hmm. call their system or how they like choose to use the term terminology um and another Interesting thing that I think um, people maybe don't realize, at least not right off the bat, but um, it it's relevant to the two question or the two terms we've discussed, host and part or alter or 
you know, headmate, whatever word people Mm -hmm. want to use. Um, Usually the host who is the person who everyone knows usually like the front person, Jen, the Jen person is a part. She's an Mm -hmm. altar. Um, I wasn't always the host either. Yeah. So, Oh really? So hosts can shift. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. If that's okay, would you be, (laughs) I'm very interested, but if you don't want to, that's fine. No, it's a good question. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe something changed. I don't know exactly for us, um, but it was like some kind of change. I think it was the divorce of my parents. Mm -hmm. um, Because I don't have like any memory before the age of 12, except for like bits of information that I'm allowed to know. Mm. Um, just so I can like say like yes I was born and I have a childhood but um not like any definitive details mm-hmm. um uh and the person that did the time before me we initially integrated like probably like six months into knowing about the DID and so I have some of his, his information like whatever he knew because he was just a host too. He didn't like, mm-hmm. um, he didn't do the trauma, you know, he like maybe knew about it, but it wasn't or like knows about it now. But, mm-hmm. um, so I have like some of his information from that time before, um, 12, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Am I making sense? Yeah, no, you are. I think that um, you're just ex- explaining your experience as far as like, um, it sounds like some parts have some information and mm-hmm. some, some is withheld. Um, and then as you were going through your uh, journey of discovering about DID, information was given and then shifted. And then there was mm-hmm. um, different events that may have shifted who was the host but also at the same time, recognizing that the host is also a part is what mm-hmm. I was hearing. Mm-hmm. A question that I may have as well is it, it sounds like all parts know who the host is or is familiar with the host, but yeah. it sounds like maybe the parts may not be familiar with each other. Mm-hmm. And is the host familiar yeah. with all the parts? No, I, I, now I'm getting to know them and mm-hmm. like, that's been a huge long process like the last four years that's been going on Mm -hmm. um and people still like come out that I don't know about like at all I have no idea um so they like had to introduce themselves Mm. to me Mm -hmm. and like then I had to believe that that was actually real (laughs) which is a whole different like thing because no one wants to be that way you know what I mean like that's not the way my mind is supposed to work and like Mm. yeah it's not like a pleasant thing to have people come and say that they were like abused as a child and like not actually have that um knowledge like like it's like hearing your kid come up to you I guess like I don't have like my own physical kids Right. Um, but having like a, your child come up to you and tell you that they've been abused, like, that's just like mind blowing. Like, how did that happen? I don't know, but it's like supposed to be me that that happened to. Mm. It's hard to connect to that stuff. 
Yeah. I really appreciate you being so vulnerable and sharing all of this with us here. Um, I'm already learning like so much and I know that we have a lot to to chat about. Um, but I know there were some other terms that I just wanted to make sure that, uh, we got, uh, through, which was front. Um, so what do we mean by front? Well, we talked about that a little bit earlier where depend, you know, the part that's um, presenting at the time would be considered in the front. Sometimes I think a good analogy could be if you think about like, drive, you know, you're in the car, you got all these parts in the car with you, someone's driving. So they're the one mm-hmm. up front, but then someone else may quickly, you know, jump in the front seat and take over. And now they're fronting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they get done fronting and go back, you know, and then the other part fronts again. So it's really just whoever's like in the front. You could even have two of them in the driver's seat fronting at the same time. Oh. And they could be working together to front, mm-hmm. or they could be fighting with each other fronting. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. really just a term to mean who's presenting, you know, who's kind of running the show right now, more so to the outside, I think. Does that sound accurate to you guys? Like it's what you yeah. would see from the outside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and we and haven't then, talked about the Moon Knight show at all, so I just wanted to, <laughs> we've been talking about me, but I wanted to say, like, just for that, what Michelle was saying, to go off of that, in the show, he, um, we see that fight, if you've watched yeah. it, spoiler alert, there is the, like, the, the fight of, like, who's in the driver's seat between yeah. Steven and Mark, mm-hmm. and they did, like, a really good job of mm-hmm. showing there was one scene specifically i think it was in episode three it might have been two they're fighting for the front right. yeah and yeah. they were doing it in front of Lalo too which was really funny um because that actually happens and it's just it's like silliness and after the fact of course you look at it and go well that's like really funny that something like that could happen um in front of another person but it does <laughs> And I haven't seen Moon Knight. I'll just put that out there and let you all have that conversation when we get there. (laughs) Um, But to continue with the front and the other one was like um, parts and we had talked about yeah, well, there's the system, which would be all of the parts, you know, inside working together or not, but it's a system just like any other system, Mm -hmm. you know, in your, in, you may have a system like in a family system like Jen and Sarah and the rest of their family function as a system. And so sometimes people in the family are getting along and sometimes they're not, and sometimes they're hurting each other and sometimes they're helping each other. And so inside is a system just like that of parts, which Jen said earlier, I think it was Jen said, um, you know, a more technical term might be alters, but we don't, I mean, at least I think as a a therapy profession it's not my responsibility to tell you what the parts of your system are called so mm-hmm. whatever a client comes calling like Jen has referred to them as people in this conversation mm-hmm. you know when the people come in the people and that's mm-hmm. fine too and Sarah mentioned headmates some people refer to their parts as headmates so there's just a lot of terms like that and that part I wouldn't get too hung up on what to call them they're just whatever the person experiencing those parts of their personality they could be called a state because they're like some of them are Mm -hmm. emotions even just like trapped Mm -hmm. some of the people are like only function in anger Mm -hmm. and don't know anything other than that or like what else like some people like 
have depression, you know, like that in their, so they could technically be called different states too. I think it just yeah. is like whatever people are comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some people have parts that don't identify as like a human kind of yeah. identity too. They may have like some mythical spiritual characteristic or it could mm-hmm. be an animal, you know, mm-hmm. so it's really a, a fluid definition there of whatever feels right to the person experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it's always important to um, meet the person where they're at, right? When when we talk about, um, we always talk about terms on here, you know, like survivor, victim, or like um, all those different things, or like within the LGBTQ plus community, like all mm-hmm. these different terms and I, and we always end up saying like, it's however the person identifies. And it's so true because everyone's different. Everyone responds to trauma differently. All those responses are normal and all those responses are valid. And I think that, you know, it's no different when it comes to identity as well. So yeah, letting people identify however they, they true. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, it sounds like from what I'm hearing, parts can be um, different ages, different genders, um, can be very, you know, well fleshed out as far as like complicated or very, you know, just very singular as far as like an emotion. Um, and even um, maybe uh, more of like a, a person manifestation or more of a manifestation in a different sense too. Um, So I know that we were just talking about terms and things like that. Are there any terms that could be, you know, offensive that we should be mindful of um, for anyone kind of listening who might, this might be the first time that they're, they're hearing about DID. Hmm. You had a reaction, Jen. (laughs) But go ahead, Sarah. Like, I don't get offended at like that kind of stuff. People do. Other people do. So I have a hard time like thinking of those things. And it's kind of tricky because it seems like some people are offended by some terms and other people are offended by other terms. So I think the safest is to ask. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I appreciate that. I think that's usually, that's usually how (laughs) these conversations Like with pronouns or anything else. Yeah. Just Mm -hmm. um, ask. Yeah. Yes, there are terms that are offensive, but it's hard to keep track of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And things are always changing too, just mm-hmm. like uh, the change of this, um, the the name of the uh, the condition itself. So yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Um, I know we talked a little bit about, you know, trauma and, and DID um, as far as that might be a reason why someone develops it or a possible cause. Is trauma always the, the reason or are there other uh, co- probable causes of it or possible causes of it? Or is there anything else that you want to kind of hit on as far as, you know, why reasons why someone may develop DID? It's really that early childhood trauma, you know, and it has to be consistent, a persistent, complex trauma that happens at an early age, like by the time, by the age of six, pretty much it's, it's formed in the mind, in the identity. And that's because it's a trauma response, you know, it's just a way to cope with that intense, overwhelming trauma where you're trapped, you're a powerless young child going through this. So 
got to block that out. <laughs> right. That's all you can do anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean, as a young child, that is literally all they, that a person can do. So that's what the brain just finds a way to escape, finds a way to cope. And it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate, you know, but it's a brilliant coping mechanism. And that's, that's the current, you know, understanding. I think you'll always find some people who are deviating or questioning it and it's good to question mm-hmm. and, and always mm-hmm. consider other things. But the leading theory is that early childhood trauma. Yeah. I think that that makes a lot of sense. I, I'm glad that you brought up the, the word brilliant. Cause I, I think yeah. that, yeah, it's, it's um, important when we think about, you know, coping and things like that, of how it's used to, to help protect and like serve that person. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that. Um, okay. So I also wanted to know how can someone know that they are experiencing DID? Cause of course, dissociation comes with, you know, um, you know, like you were mentioning, I think it's helpful to kind of see it from, you know, the opposite of mindfulness. Right. And then there's, you know, um, some, you know, parts are aware of other parts and not, you know, so what can it feel like and how can someone know that they're experiencing it? We were trying to talk about this before because I don't know, like, I didn't know that there was like stuff. I felt unstable. That was like, I'm like a really unstable person, like super volatile, highly like, um, not now, but in the past. Mm-hmm. and really like incapable of like handling emotions um mm-hmm. therapy resistant mm-hmm. um and i'm just talking about myself like mm-hmm. i don't know what it would be like for this is just looking back at my life and like really being like oh my god i can't believe people like were even friends with me like i'm mm-hmm kind of one of those extreme um like high anger I don't know how to say it because it just sounds bad but I'm like the bad person that people represent like in the movies and stuff in DID like I'm really nice but when I'm in an unstable place it like looks really ugly like super ugly like people probably shouldn't have been friends with me kind of stuff like from my opinion, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I think looking back, I can say like, whoa, look at my life. Um, and see like now how I would, could know I had DID. I think just, I think it's more like unmanageability and instability and like, there's so, I don't know. I don't know how to say that one. DID is hard. Um, because it was created to hide the truth. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so, um, the system is brilliant at hiding the existence of the system. Um, they're brilliant at, um, keeping it from the host. Mm -hmm. And then it's those moments of extreme instability when there are a lot of triggers, um, and there's just the like unexplained um because i've been like working on mindfulness for s- so many years now mm-hmm. that um i feel like that stuff is almost lost um 
I was triggered by every single thing that mm-hmm. ever happened, basically. Before. Like getting out of yeah. bed was a trigger. Yeah. And I have mm-hmm. like, so I was just always in a constant state of like being triggered. Mm-hmm. And so I don't like that is the only, but I don't know. I didn't know that then. I didn't know that that's like what was going on. Mm-hmm. I can see it now. I don't know if I'm being helpful at all. <laughs> Something it is that, is that um, I saw it all along. And um, also there were a couple instances in her life when people told her that she seemed like a completely different person. Yeah. I think if um, like, no one's ever said that to me. Um, I think if the people you love and trust are saying those words to you, um, it's a good thing to listen to, especially if you are having instability that you don't understand. And um, something interesting about um, when um, someone has DID and different parts are out, that's, there's another term, switch. Um, when they switch, their face changes. And that's something that I could see from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. First time we met, I saw her face change and she looked like a different person. Um, I guess like also one thing to pay attention to, and I feel like it's part of the way that the system works. and I, it, I'm guessing it's a possibility. It's like this for most people. Um, it just seems like a common thing. Uh, is I can't remember that people say stuff like that to me. Like I've had, like I've had people yeah. say, "Have you ever been abused?" Like no, people don't say that to other people, mm-hmm. you know. And it's mm-hmm. happened to me throughout my life, but I never would remember that, you know. Like I think mm-hmm. somehow I remembered after. I had memories come back like, oh, I did. Like I had an ex who used to like ask me, were you like abused when you were a kid? Mm. And I was like, no, I've always answered no. Mm-hmm. Like I never knew that that stuff ever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like having outside sources like see it is helpful. Mm-hmm. And then like her, mm-hmm. she's asked when we first met. Yeah, it was probably like one of the first questions she asked because because I saw her change Mm -hmm. and I would even think in my head all the time and I laugh now because um I should have listened to this but it just it was about timing um I used to think when she would walk into a room I would think oh it's that Jen (laughs) like (laughs) oh in my head there were like like there were yeah and like I think initially we used to like it was like bipolar mm-hmm. um sure yeah like it looks like different stuff yeah. because trauma looks like everything like yes. it's it gets like it's hidden it's insidious mm-hmm. it's like it's in everything body yeah. pain is trauma you know what I mean like yeah. especially I don't know if you've ever read the body keeps a score have, have either of you read that I'm sure Michelle has I I need to read it but yes I've heard of it yeah mm-hmm I would say from a clinical perspective, what we're talking about, like, that's a good point right there. If you've received many diagnoses over time, you know, Mm -hmm. of like people just continually trying to figure out what these symptoms are, that could be a hint. It doesn't mean it's DID, you know, but usually people with DID, there's some statistic about it, but they've received like 10 diagnoses already. You know, there's usually by the time they get the the correct diagnosis, they've been diagnosed with many other things before bipolar being one schizophrenia you know anxiety depression because even you talked about earlier like the depressed part you know you'll have parts that present as depressed or as anxious and so you get that diagnosis and you just keep picking up diagnoses 
Mm. And the other thing I was just going to add is as a clinician, we do have some screening instruments that we mm-hmm. can use to, to mm-hmm. help look at some things that may happen in your daily life that you may not even realize could be dissociation, like what you were talking about earlier, I think Sarah and Jen, where you know you may not realize walking into a room and you don't remember why you came in could actually be because you were dissociated. So mm-hmm. uh, we do have some tools to help maybe, you know, pit, um, pull it apart and see what it is, but it can be very hard for the individual with DID to recognize like you were describing, Mm -hmm. because that's the whole design of DID is to be covert to everyone else and to the person with it. Yeah. And and I know that we're going to be, I had, you know, us talking more about um, moon night later on, but I think it's appropriate to just bring it in whenever um, as we walk through this conversation. So Do you think that um, the way that they represent how it could feel where, you know, Stephen wakes up and they seem like, oh, I don't remember this or like, where am I? Like, is that very common? And do you think that that is appropriate? Yeah. And the goldfish thing like that, the goldfish Mm -hmm. thing where the fish keeps changing on him. Yes. Tell us us more about that because not everyone may have listened to it. So. So yeah, the goldfish. Uh-huh. He like wakes up and the goldfish is a different fish than the day before. Okay. Um, because Mark like did something with it. I can't remember. I think Mark replaced it. Like replaced he it. didn't want Stephen to be sad. Yeah, like it died or something. Mm-hmm. It got, I, don't remember what I think happened. it died, yeah. Okay. Anyway, stuff like that happens. Like mm-hmm. things are like... Mm-hmm. I'm super organized, like really organized. And I want my mm-hmm. stuff to be like almost mm-hmm. OCD kind mm-hmm. of um, yeah. organized. And then I would like set this stuff up. <laughs> this used to happen at work all the time. Um, when I worked on cars, I had like a toolbox and the tools were like in a specific order and like things are supposed to be a specific way and come in the next day and it would just be like completely different. Wow. And I would, I'm always thinking that it's somebody else doing it, yeah. but it's me. And so there's like little signs, like stuff like that, yeah, like the goldfish for things are not the way you It's like, them. yeah, you know, we have a joke. It's a joke now in our family. Like somebody did blah, blah, blah. You know, somebody moved my <laughs> thing or somebody mm-hmm. used this thing inappropriately or whatever. And now um, she jokes about it too. Mm-hmm. And just laughs about all those years of wondering who was messing with her stuff. Like before I lived with people too, yeah. like someone was in my apartment. Oh, Yeah. Like confusing. Yeah. Really confusing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the roommates probably like, I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think so is it is it kind of as you as someone may start seeing these signs and may start realizing oh I think that this might be what is going on I think I may have DID you know is that really scary is it like like what is that process like mm-hmm. or could be like no one wants to do that yeah. it's yeah. not no I'm on a couple um, Facebook groups for DID supporters, and um, it's pretty much the same story over and over. Uh, There's a huge relief when the diagnosis comes. 
um, because it explains every weird thing that's ever happened. But then immediately after there really is just a huge upheaval and the um, entire system is triggered by being exposed mm-hmm. and they've lived under this belief their entire existence that um, no one can know. Right. And um, part of that was told to them by the abusers. No one can know. And then the system just lives with that. Um, that's the biggest rule is that no one can know. And so as soon as it's exposed, um, the, the host is triggered, the rest of the system is triggered. And it's usually a couple years of um, things being more unstable after diagnosis, because it's just such a really painful reality because Mm -hmm. um, often people don't even know that um, they have trauma in their early childhood. So it's the awareness of that. And then the awareness that, you know, you have a system and that just, it's scary and it's painful. And there's a lot of denial. Denial is a really huge issue with CID because, um, you know, just like anything else that's painful to believe, it's very painful to believe and um, people don't want it to be true. Yeah. Yeah. All I can think is nobody wants to do that. Mm -hmm. Like you don't want to. Well, but at that same time, Jen, because you have a system of parts, sometimes there might be a part that does want that information and really Mm -hmm. dives in and researches and become, you know, and then you have another part going, Whoa, stop, we can't do this. And so that's Mm -hmm. where a lot of that destabilization that Jen or Sarah are talking about happens because even the system is at odds with this diagnosis, Mm -hmm. you know, parts of the system may be relieved and like, yes, this makes sense. And I want to learn everything about it. And I want to tell everyone about it. And then there's other parts of the system, like, never speak of this, you know, this is shameful. This is, and so it's just destabilizing and the big, Mm -hmm. like the first part of therapy and healing is really just trying to stabilize the system. Acceptance. Mm -hmm. I like, yeah, still spend a lot of my time Mm -hmm. forcing myself to believe that it's the truth. Mm -hmm. Cause Mm -hmm. I don't want to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> I'm supposed to be like living and like just yeah. be oblivious to it. So, because that's been her. That's job. my been my job, like for mm-hmm. since I was twelve or whatever, or the body was twelve, I should say. So for you as the host, this is not welcome information. This is yeah. hard to accept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know there were people in my system who were like, yeah. It's about time mm-hmm. that someone knows about this stuff, but yeah. And we see that in Moon Knight as well, because I think mm-hmm. Steven's like, there's this, um, there's this part, right. Where they're opening all these doors and going in the past. And Steven wants to know about what happened yes. and Mark's like, no, 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 this isn't. And yeah. And Mark was, is the host. And so he's not comfortable um, with that. So it sounds like even that was kind of represented um, Mm -hmm. in that way. Um, You know, what would you say to someone who is, you know, experiencing this and is scared and and isn't sure what to do? It's kind of a big question, but. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) I could say it like it does get like a little bit easier to 
it takes a lot of work and um, I think it's worth it and um, I think that knowing now I mean I think initially I was kind of like no 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 I'm not gonna like acknowledge these little girls in me who have trauma and like need help kind of thing but um now I think I feel grateful that I get mm -hmm. to like address that and like heal it because I didn't have that like I didn't have mm -hmm. that when I was growing up like we didn't have parents that were gonna help us feel better you know it was dangerous to have a feeling period plus everything else um okay. uh so being able to like learn how to do that is a blessing and like I don't know it sounds scary to be like mm -hmm. internal I think for anybody even people who don't have have mm -hmm. like DID or childhood trauma because we're complex humans are just complex and so <laughs> anyway it is fun too it's not just like mm -hmm. hell all the time yeah. so it is fun yeah. I like that you said that it was fun too. So it's like yeah. discovering different parts, maybe yeah. it can be fun. Absolutely. It, it can. Yeah. <laughs> I think it can go back and forth. So it's not just always bad. It, well, yeah. And I will, I was going to say the same thing as you, as far as what to say to someone else who might be discovering this about themselves and are possibly scared is it does get better. And one thing I can say is, um, our life used to be really confusing and scary and at times and um, very unstable. And um, it has only gotten better and better and better and better since um, finding the system. Mm -hmm. And um, like we couldn't really make plans because we didn't know how things were going to be and we didn't know why and um it just life was very unstable for a long time and now we like we do whatever we want you know we were able to do this we this was a plan we weren't scared that you know jen was going to be unstable or something so it's a scary diagnosis but if you embrace it and you do the work, it only makes life better. And yes, it mm -hmm. is fun. It's now I, most of the time it's fun. Yeah. Because there were like parts of me, maybe that were missing or like, I guess not knowing, not being like whole all the time. I don't know how I'm not like whole mm -hmm. all the time now it's different. That's not what I mean by being like a single person, but maybe I didn't have all of the like information that I'm supposed to have for I basically am learning who I am mm -hmm. which is something that people do when they're like little and grow up and like do that over yeah. their first 20 years that didn't happen for me so I'm kind of like in the like being a in that period of time which is it's fun to like decide who I am and like mm -hmm. actually have control yeah. yeah and it sounds exciting too and I think that 
you know, that's what therapy is too, right? Just discovering who you are and having this space. Um, so I appreciate hearing that. I think that that is kind of dispelling and some myths that I think that we should probably get to. And I think we're already kind of dispelling some. I think the biggest one um, is and uh, that it doesn't exist. So how would you dispel this myth? And anyone can jump in at any time. I want Michelle to answer that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the myth that it doesn't exist goes along with the myth, myth that it's extremely rare or that, you know, we've mm -hmm. never known anyone who had it because the truth is that you probably wouldn't know if someone mm -hmm. had it, you know, for the mm -hmm. most part that, you know, so um, the myth that it doesn't exist, I don't even personally know where how you can say it doesn't exist because we know it exists. But I guess um, some people think that people are making it up mm -hmm. or something. I don't so really, damaging. I don't know if someone else understands that myth better, but I know it's out there. I just don't, I don't. In the show, The Many Sides of Jane, there's, um, I believe he's a psychiatrist um, who gives commentary throughout the show. Oh, yeah. And one thing he said that really stuck with me is that um, people, um, it's hard to say it without crying, um, people have trouble believing DID is real because it's hard to believe that abuse of that magnitude can exist, that people would really hurt children badly enough that would cause them to fracture in this way. Mm -hmm. And um, it's easiest for them to just not believe. Mm. And if it's not, you know, them, and they're, you know, they're able to easily dismiss it, then they can walk away and be unscathed and not be hurt by the knowledge that people, um, torture their children mm -hmm. yeah I, I feel like that is um so much of the reason no one wants to believe that mm -hmm. happens right like some people have the story of walking up to their parents and telling them that you know telling their mother that their father's abusing them and the mom like refusing to believe so mm -hmm. like that is just an indicator <laughs> of like why mm -hmm. it's like no one no one wants to believe that that would happen yeah you know yeah and I think what you're both saying ties into this um concept that people will say well children are so resilient you know they just bounce back oh, yeah. and you know they are resilient oh. but their resilience in the resilience involves these coping mechanisms you know mm -hmm. and so when they're abused to this degree that coping mechanism is very strong and so they may appear normal and healthy and well-adjusted and that's all part of how DID functions so that they can survive in the world they appear to be very resilient but inside they have this battle and this extreme pain locked away yeah and, and what I'm hearing too is very similar to when we blame survivors or victims for their sexual assault or their sexual trauma it can come from a place of not wanting to believe that this can happen to anyone 
which it can, right? Um, so this kind of idea of like, well, if I don't do this and I don't wear this and I don't go with this person and I'm not out late, then I'll be fine. And, and that isn't true, right? And so that's where victim blaming kind of comes from. And it's so damaging and awful. Um, and yeah, I'm really glad that we're able to host this conversation to dispel that really damaging myth. Um, I think there's another one too that we wanted to address when we were planning this podcast, which is those with DID are dangerous. So how would you address this myth? Well, I would say that can be true, just like any other person can be dangerous. And Jen mentioned earlier that at times when she's more or less stable, you know, that she does have parts come out that can be ugly to use your term, Jen, you know, but, um, so everyone has a little piece of that in them, I think, regardless. And so they can be, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean they're going to be dangerous either. Just like any other person, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, they're just like other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That sums it up perfectly. Yeah. And there are people who like, I don't know, have you, have you read the fractured mind? Do either one of you guys know that book? Okay. His name is Robert Oxnard. I uh, like read it. I recommend it to everybody if they want to know about DID. It's a really, it's easy to read. It's, well, at least it was for me, but I was like really into it. It probably could be triggering. He doesn't really go into the abuse, mm. but he's like a presidential aide or something. He like worked for one of the president. I think it was like Bill Clinton. I'm not positive. Don't like he did some big job and <laughs> he's, you know, like would technically be kind of a famous person yeah he writes books and um anyway he has DID and he like so I'm just saying like that they're not dangerous people you know what I mean like he's like a high-end person he had to have like fingerprint clearance and stuff for his job so like it's not that weird of a Mm -hmm. thing for people yeah. I would think that some of the um, media representations of DID may have contributed to that misunderstanding yeah. because it's a lot more interesting to watch a graphic, dramatic you know, movie about something than someone who's just managing in their system and functioning in daily life and they're fine. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, probably that's part of where that comes from. It's not based really on reality. It's based on um, sensationalism. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's important and we will be discussing more about media shortly. Um, another <laughs> another myth that we wanted to discuss was the you know, way to uh, treat, um, or I don't even know if that's like a proper term really, just um, the, you know, the proper way was in the past um, to combine all the parts into one. Um, so, how has that kind of shifted and how is that, how would we kind of debunk that myth? Sounds like a Michelle question. (laughs) I I love that they keep doing this to you, Michelle. It's great. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, if you look at um, anyone's psyche, everyone has these parts of who they are, these aspects of their personality. And so um, it's kind of like, how we would treat any client in a sense that I want you to get to know all parts of yourself and help those parts of yourself understand your present present day experience, maybe clean up or heal some wounds from the past. 
and learn how to have those aspects of yourself work together in the present. And so it's really the same with DID. They used to, I guess, think that in doing that, you kind of combined all those parts into one unified, you know, personality. But now that we understand it is one personality to begin with, these are just aspects of the personality. There doesn't need to be a goal of combining into one personality. And it's it's actually impossible because those are parts, all of those parts are aspects of, of who that person is. And if we try to eradicate any of them, we're doing harm to their system. We're doing harm to that part, to the other parts that need that. If you have a part that's holding um, trauma and you just say, well, let's get rid of that part, then where does that trauma go? it's going to go to other parts that are not equipped to hold the trauma. So it's, you know, we need all the parts. And so I think you mentioned earlier, the concept of functional multiplicity, which is more of what's considered a goal where we embrace all of the parts, all parts are good. All parts have helped you get from where you started and what happened to you to where you are today. And they're going to bring you forward into your life after this. So we want all those parts to be part of your current, personality and your experience and work together so that you can be that. I think Jen mentioned earlier, having kind of like gaps in her personality and her experience. You want all those parts to come in and work together to have a more uh, whole experience of the present instead of continually reliving or continually functioning and coping ways. Let's be in the present where hopefully the person is safe now. Yeah, kind of celebrating all parts and and their their role, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That's I think I that's have. a big part of um, the therapy. Really, is mm-hmm. celebrating all the parts. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's been our focus since we found the system, mm-hmm. and that's part of the fun. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of what makes it fun. Mm-hmm. But something I um, tell everyone is that we um, we do not see DID as a problem or the problem, Mm -hmm, the trauma was the problem Mm -hmm. and the trauma did some damage and, um, healing the damage is the goal. Yeah. Um, you know, finding it, grieving it, um, being angry about it, processing the trauma, helping all the parts to heal and celebrating them and helping them to find out who they are and to be themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's an important um, aspect of that, Sarah, that before you can go just processing the trauma, those parts need to, you know, like we were talking about getting parts, knowing about each other, getting them working Mm -hmm. together. That's almost more important, you know, that the system is functioning like that functional multiplicity. So that then if you choose to process or work through any of that trauma, you can, because Mm -hmm. if you just jump in and start processing trauma, it will destabilize the whole system and make things worse. So yeah, like you're saying, you want to get to that point if possible, or if that's your goal, but even underlying that the bigger goal is to get all those parts working together. Definitely. Thank you for adding that because I would not suggest otherwise ever no we've spent the last like four years Mm -hmm. um basically making it known that we're safe and that's Mm -hmm. like been our goal for us Mm -hmm. um orienting orienting to like the present which is almost like impossible it's hard Mm -hmm. um and 
sometimes trauma comes up, which is mm-hmm. kind of what's happening right now. Um, but uh, for the most part, we just spend our days trying to make sure we're like in 2022 um, mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that mindfulness piece again, kind of that mm-hmm. grounding. Um, absolutely. So going off of that, how do you think the new Marvel show Moon Knight portrays DID? Is it in a good light? Do they do it? Good job of it? Examples? Yeah, they did a really good job. Mm -hmm. Um, I know there's that end credit scene that everybody's mad about, like in the DID community, Mm. is there was another part introduced and he was the angry, violent one. but it was just like a split second. It wasn't what the focal point was. I think they did a good job focusing on the like, I think what it looks like mm-hmm. and how it can affect a person in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Like he like straps himself mm-hmm. to his bed because he's like, I know, so I'm doing something at night and I don't know what it is. So, um, or like what's happening and he like tapes his door and everything because he wants to make sure he's not leaving his apartment which is just it's kind of I think it's just a good representation of how unmanageable it can be and the relation we watched it as a family and we were very nervous um you know we didn't want um we didn't want it to hurt. We didn't want it to be bad representation because it's such an exciting opportunity um, to educate people just of the existence of DID. So we were kind of on pins and needles the entire time we were watching. But as a family, I can say we were nodding our heads the whole time. We, all of us were sitting there going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's, it's just so accurate. They really, actually, Oscar Isaac. Um, the actor. Re- um, yes, the actor and producer, um, he read the Fractured Mind book that Jen referenced okay. and said that that was really his Bible through the creating of it. And he went into the whole project with so much compassion mm-hmm. and really felt the weight of responsibility for what he was doing. It was um, super intentional. Like everything really about it, there was like all this subtle stuff that... Very subtle. I think... I like even miss, but when it was like happening, I was like, oh my God, you know what I mean? Like, and I think people, I don't know. I mean, we tried to talk about it when you were doing the post about the like little tiny details that I can't remember right now. But they're just little, um, the subtleties, the conversations between um, Steve and Mark as they're trying to just function and, you know, maybe Mark would be fronting and Steven would be talking to him from the inside and Mark would be having trouble just having a conversation with a person that's real. And, Mm -hmm. um, like someone's talking to you Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that happens to me. Like I'll hear something. I'm like, wait, I didn't catch that. And then I'll forget what I was talking about. Or someone on the inside will be saying like, like, don't don't, talk about that. Or say this or like just stuff. And that was really well represented. We loved the relationship between Layla and Mark and Steven. And we um, just a lot of like little things that really come up and um, family dynamics and relationships. Um, They were able to get those in. And we loved watching 
Stephen and Mark learning to work together. Mm-hmm. And um, they were actively working on functional multiplicity, which um, was very honoring. Um, mm-hmm. We did question a little bit that um, trauma um, the whole time we were waiting to see how they would explain um, the DID and, um, you know, hoping that the trauma would do justice um, to the survivors who are really living with this. And um, they didn't go into it. It was like borderline. Okay. First of all, um, Mark was uh, age nine ish. It looks like when the trauma occurred or the trauma that they showed, which is a little old. Mm -hmm. And then, um, no, because we realized um, the way she treated him. So that was that's what I was going to say that there was more there that they just didn't go into. Because mm. um, I mean, no one wants to talk about tra- trauma. You don't like want to hear that stuff. Yeah, the one subtle, subtle hint that we see that maybe there was more, possibly there was trauma before the big event, is um, in the scene where the mother is saying. Um, to the younger son like it's time to eat and just completely ignoring mark yeah so we're wondering if there was some neglect or abuse happening before before that but that that was one thing that was you know um i think they tried i think they they did go for it but i think it might have left some question about um what needs to occur in order for did to be formed Mm -hmm. but overall a strong yes. We feel like it was a good representation. Yeah. Jen's whole system loves their new favorite superhero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very honoring and fun. I think it's cool too that Mark and Steven have different outfit manifestations for mm-hmm. when they go into the moon night, um, which I find really interesting. I think that um, while I was watching it too, you know, I didn't know a lot about DID, but while we were talking about it on this podcast, um, yeah, you're seeing those like little subtle things um, where uh, it's like almost, it feels like almost like a mystery of like trying to solve of like, um, you know, what's really going on. And then we find out about, um, kind of Mark and Steven and all these different things. And there's like little representations of it. And I'm so glad that, you know, Mark and Steven do like have that scene where he holds his hand and they like come together. Mm-hmm. Um, we were also talking about um, them going in the past and kind of, you know, um, how Steven was starting to um, discover about this as well and how they they did a really good job of kind of explaining that and I'm also glad that you brought up some criticism too um because yeah when you were when you were saying Michelle that a lot of times this happens before the age of six I'm like oh that didn't happen in the show but I think that um you know does it if it sounds like it feels really validating um or it could feel very validating and and honoring as some of the words that you were mentioning. Um, and it sounds like it debunked some myths as well, which is great. But I think that many people may worry about interacting incorrectly with someone with DID. Mm-hmm. So what tips and advice do you have for them? I mean, they're just people. Yeah. Yeah, that would be my biggest one is that 
they're just people, you know, we're all people with our life experiences. So if you have a friend that comes and tells you about this diagnosis, they're still your friend, just like they were before. And so that, I think that is one of the problems of incorrectly interacting is that people suddenly change like, oh, now I need to treat you differently, or I need to ask you who's fronting, or, you know, I need to be careful you might be dangerous and all of that. It's still the same person that you know and love or work with or whatever. So just like with other things, the trauma, the, the DID doesn't define the person. Mm-mm. And I think um, something I really appreciated is um, most of our friends have just asked, yeah. you know, how would you like me to refer to you and your parts? And um, people have asked really thoughtful questions mm-hmm. and um I was thinking of Gareth and him asking me yeah like, what would you like me to call you yeah and is there anything that you want to be different mm-hmm. um that's felt loving mm-hmm. yeah so yeah, asking and- like that and each system is different you know some mm-hmm. some systems won't want to be identified at all as a system you know and they're just mm-hmm. the first like yep. this is Jen all the time it's Jen it doesn't matter who's mm-hmm. fronting it's always Jen yep. and then there's others that will come out and say I'm and introduce themselves you know mm-hmm. whoever's fronting so it's really just honoring for that person whatever works for their system yeah yeah and I think that whenever we talk about um you know trauma and, and you know it's those especially like sexual violence, you know, it's like a crime of power and control. And I think like at the end of the day, um, giving that person that power and control of how they want to identify how their experience is. And then you being the person as a supporter, just, you know, um, asking how, you know, giving them agency of like, how, how do you identify? How, how would you like me to, you know, and just being thoughtful, I think is what I'm hearing too. And asking, questions to be um the best supporter that you possibly can and that's going to look different for different people um yeah yeah. and I I love that answer always is they're people and it's like yes Mm -hmm. (laughs) absolutely something people might not be aware of is that um I think it's safe to say that most people with DID um are closeted Mm -hmm. um And um, it's not something people share openly. And so if someone shares this with you, it is um, special. Mm -hmm. It means they trust you. They're sharing something very, very personal, possibly something that's scary. Mm -hmm. There are many horror stories um, of people who have been rejected by friends and family and not believed. And so it's scary. Um, just like any other coming out, mm-hmm. it's scary to come out as being a DID system. And so um, I think just keeping that in mind and um, validating, believing, and um, knowing that you're being chosen as someone who is a trusted person and honoring that role. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I really appreciate that. I think um I'm hearing just so many overlaps with like any kind of like coming out or any kind of, you know, disclosure of, you know, past sexual abuse or anything like that. Um, there's so much overlap with just like believing and, um, and, and boundaries. Yeah. And not sharing people's stories without their consent. Right. Or like asking about it. Just remember people with trauma, like, they had their boundaries 
like they didn't have boundaries they weren't allowed to like have a boundary mm-hmm. and so it's important yeah. to remember that part of it absolutely I'd like to ask what helped you the most um, as you were kind of going through this process, Jen, um, what helped you do the most? Oh, um, that's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I think support is probably the best thing. Um, I, I'm like one of those people who thinks I don't need other people. And I think it's just part of my trauma. Um, it's like super deep. Um, I don't, trust people it's Mm -hmm. we've had like a lot of support like the probability of me being able to like walk through the stuff I've been walking through the last four years is probably slim to none if I wouldn't have met the family and like had a good support system because I was thinking about this when we were talking earlier being in a safe environment and having um safe people to process with even if I wasn't doing that initially off the bat um it just helps the walls come down um and then like also they never have like ever wanted me to change they just Mm -hmm. like let me process which wasn't like always the greatest thing but um I think just support like having like a trusted person or like a therapist um that's usually what most people use but I have five people um other than me that I live with that we like support each other and so having like healthy safe relationships is probably the most important thing they like therapists because therapists are safe they're like and not all therapists are safe but (laughs) there are those ones out there that are really good and like they are safe and they help people get to the stuff um that's making their lives unmanageable or whatever is going on but having like a safe house to live in with a safe family has been the like it's been the opposite of the way we grew up so yeah yeah Jen I thought you made some um good points in there about um having obviously having the safe people to be able to live with and process with because I think if you're not in a safe physical environment and in safe relationships it would be hard to heal because it's just a continuation of the trauma for you so that's kind of foundational but part of that safety that you touched on is that they didn't want you to change, you know, Mm -hmm. they gave you. So like having that space for you to be in charge, for you Mm -hmm. to lead your healing for you, which you mentioned earlier too, like this degree of trauma happens. There are no boundaries, you know, Mm -hmm. everything is violated for a young child with this kind of trauma. And so Mm -hmm. one of the most healing aspects can be for you to be in charge of your healing fully. Mm-hmm. So even with a therapist, you know, if you come in and I have an agenda for you, that's not going to serve you best. Yeah. You know, yeah. I need to meet you where you are, like Emily said, and then we're going to follow your path for healing. You mm-hmm. I believe that you inherently know the blueprint for your healing. Mm-hmm. And so it would be my job to just walk that path with you down your healing journey. And so the fact that the family that you live with understands that, and they're not 
forcing you to do it a certain way or, or trying to make you into something different creates mm-hmm. that space for you to then go where you need to go. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah that's yes. probably really just the only way to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it wasn't pleasant. Like, you know, we have like trauma in our house because of me, um, because of how because like of my trauma. instability and yeah. from my trauma. And so, yeah, I don't know that most people could do that. These people are special. So <laughs> mm-hmm. that's why I say a therapist because mm-hmm. yeah, therapy is like that person's supposed to be able to handle. But really, even with a therapist, um, it's very important for a person with DID to know they're safe in their home. Mm-hmm. And um, even though we have been together for 11 years, so that there were seven years not knowing um, about the DID. Um, and we've been consistently safe. Um, and that's something that they know and it's something that we know, but, um, it's not something that every single part of the system knew all along. And it's Mm -hmm. not something that they even know every single day now. (laughs) Um, and so the work of establishing, um, present day safety, I think is the absolute most important therapy work. So even if you have a a great therapist and then you go home and you're like, I don't really know if I can trust these people. Um, And people, some parts of the system are going to be in a perpetual flashback and it doesn't matter what their environment looks like. They're reliving the past constantly and that transference happens. So yes, a support system, a great support system, but also knowing that your support system is safe. I'm so happy to hear that that is the reality for you, um, for you both and your family. You know, Michelle, have, what have you heard from your clients that have helped them? Has it been kind of similar? Yeah, I really think it, it's that, like we just were talking about being like physically knowing you're safe in the present, even if it doesn't always feel like it, the knowing mm-hmm. that these people are actually safe. But, and then additionally being in charge, you know, of your own journey, being able to set boundaries, being able to decide, I don't want to do therapy right now, or I do want to go into therapy right now, or I do want to address this trauma, or I don't want to address this trauma. Mm -hmm. I do want to talk about this or I don't, you know, like just, it has to be led by the client. I think in that Mm -hmm. situation, especially in this situation. Absolutely. We like to say, um, you know, that everyone's the experts of their lives and people are the experts of their healing too. Um, you know, it is like I mentioned earlier, um, in the intro, it is mental health awareness month, which is a time to uplift conversations around mental health and to destigmatize thoughts surrounding mental illness and mental, mental health conditions. I think DAD may come with additional stigmas. So what can we do as a society to better support those with DID and break down the stigma surrounding this? Well, I think, uh, you know, back to believing people would be a key part of that, you know, that if someone tells you this is their experience, just believe it. What harm is there? Even if maybe you find out later some aspect of it wasn't true the chances are more likely that it is true and it would be so healing to be believed. And even Mm -hmm. if it's not, who cares? Like, so, you know, believing a person 
and um <laughs> but I just think it's so true it's like even if it's not who cares like that's yeah. a great way to put it it's like I would much rather believe why you know why not I keep wanting to say it and it keeps popping up. I think someone keeps telling me um, that abuse is like more prevalent than people know. Mm -hmm. Like it's a possibility that the person you're sitting next to was like heavily abused as a child or the kid you're sitting next to is being abused currently. Like it is more prevalent than people want to believe it's happening. Like, on a level, I think that no one would really want to believe it's happening. Like that's mm-hmm. scary to think of. Mm-hmm. So if someone says that they're abused, like just say okay. Like mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think also trauma is like people are figuring out like a lot of the ways that kids were are raised and they're trying to be like change that. Like um because they're figuring out that it is hurting people it's like it's affecting developmental stages and causing brain problems and I mean I don't understand why people won't just believe that DID is real like yeah the way brains work is pretty impressive so yeah absolutely yeah I think that believing is so so important and I think that's definitely a way that we can help um, be better supporters and, um, as a society and as like individual systems and things like that too. Is there anything else that you, that you wanted to bring up? Michelle just said it all. No, I would just (laughs) add, I mean, I didn't watch moon night, as I said, but I've heard from so many sources, sources, what a great representation of DID overall that it was. And so, Mm -hmm. um, things like that, I think are really helpful and really positive just to get accurate representations out there. So at least as a society, we can understand what it really is because if we don't even understand what it really is or if we're being fed these sensationalized, dramatized versions of it, then we're not going to understand and the stigma will continue, you know, we'll make it worse. So, I mean, I, I'm very heartened to know that Moon Knight was such a good representation because I think it helps and there's been so much discussion out there now because of that show just because of that one show, you know, that so many people are now learning what it is and from a pretty accurate standpoint. So mm-hmm. I think that is another big, uh, big thing that could, could help decrease stigma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And learning more about it too. I'm definitely going to read the fractured mind. I'm so glad that they utilize this source for the show itself. So that they're like coming from a very, uh, well-informed perspective too. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that we talked a lot of today. So thank you so much again. Um, is there anything you'd like to say to those with DID or their supporters um, that may be listening? Or is there anything else that you'd like to bring up before we kind of sign off today? For some reason, I keep wanting to mention the System Speaks podcast. I don't know. I don't know if like everybody who has DID already knows about it, but there's a podcast called System Speaks and she's really good. Um, I think she hasn't done another, uh, I think she ended like after the first of January or something this year, but there's five years of mm-hmm. podcasts available and she talks to a lot of specialists on there and it's just really, it's a good, mm-hmm. um, 
she also is a therapist. And so um, it's just a good resource for people who I, I don't have time to watch videos on YouTube. A lot of people do that, like the DID videos and stuff. So the podcast stuff helps. Um, and yeah, anyway, I was trying to think of resources for people. Mm. And I feel like that is like one of the best. Um, yeah, yeah. Just awa- awareness. seeking awareness yeah. and um, actively choosing to be an ally. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who thinks that they might have DID or is currently being diagnosed, like, yes, learning as much as you can about it, finding community mm-hmm. um, helps to normalize um, some of what our reality is mm-hmm. um, for our supporters and people living with DID both. Um, um, well, I was thinking about how you said um, saying anything to those with DID or their supporters. And to those with DID, I would say you're not broken. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with you. This is a normal response to something very abnormal that happened to you. And so there is hope and there is help out there. Like we've been talking about, there are beautiful supporters and there is support for the supporters. Mm-hmm. I love that. I have really enjoyed this conversation and learning so much more. Um, And I think that that's a great place to sign off. So thank you for listening to the Victim Service Center podcast. The VSA is a nonprofit organization that provides free confidential counseling services for victims and survivors of any kind of trauma in Central Florida. To learn more about our services, please visit victimservicecenter.org. And to everyone listening, healing is not linear and you are not alone. And thank you so, so much, Michelle, uh, Sarah, and Jen for joining me today. Thank Thank you you so much for doing this. Yeah. Thank you for your work.